Coming up, we're just hours away from knowing whether or not the baseball season will start on time. Will an agreement be made before the clock strikes midnight? Count them. Seven teams in the top ten lost in college basketball on Saturday. A prelude of the madness as we're just a week away from conference championships. Kyrie Irving is starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And the Harden and Bede marriage is off to a great start in Philadelphia. Are the defending two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning a team that's flying under the radar? An early retirement for a Super Bowl champion offensive lineman. Another month is almost in the books and I'm just getting started. I'll have it all for you in just a matter of moments. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as always. The final day of February has arrived. March is just about ready to welcome us with open arms, and I welcome you. And also thank you for stopping by to get your fix on everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 240 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, February the 28th, in the year of our Lord 2022. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what's expected on his podcast, is as follows. A shift in the Eastern Conference could be on the horizon, as the Sixers commence the James Harden era with two wins, and with Kyrie Irving's performance versus Milwaukee over the weekend, the return of Kevin Durant this week, and the long-awaited debut of Ben Simmons will certainly make things interesting for the Brooklyn Nets as we turn the calendar to March. I'll have everything that's going on in the association a little bit later on, as well as the college hardwood, because what in the hell happened on Saturday? Not one, not two, not three, but seven top teams lose in what I'll call Slaughter Saturday. If this is any indication of what lies ahead as the month of March is upon us, then we're in for an unpredictable and wild ride as we're into the final week of the college basketball regular season, so I'll have that in a little bit. Another milestone this past week on the ice for is Dano Chara, and are the Lightning, a team that's flying under the radar in the NHL? Hard to imagine, but for a two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, that could be the case. I'll have that later on. 
as well as a surprising retirement and a couple of notable passings. We'll highlight the NFL segment. All that and then some, including my hero and zero of the week. A couple of things before I get started. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what's going on in Ukraine. As we all know, the horror that's taking place over there where several athletes have come out in that region, whether your name is Alexander Ovechkin or even the Kalichko brothers, both Vitaly and Vladimir, with Vitaly being the mayor in the capital of Kiev, which is getting a lot of publicity, of course, but on a bigger picture, just the events over the past seven days and not knowing how long that this is going to further whether it's uh, going to take weeks, hopefully not even months, maybe it's just a matter of days before this is all said and done. So we just hope and pray for those people in Ukraine. Thoughts, all just well wishes, good wishes to all the people that are in the front line, that are battling this war against Russia. And we just hope that sooner rather than later that this comes to a screeching halt. That's the first thing I want to get out. The second thing is the eve of the fourth anniversary of this podcast, which would be tomorrow, as I began this endeavor, March 1st, 2018, and how time flies, as I've said periodically on this podcast, to where we all have to seize the moment and all try to be as present as we possibly can because we don't want to rush time and yada, 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 all that that I've pretty much come to kick off a lot of these podcasts, but I'll get into... More of this as I cross the threshold tomorrow. I get it that I won't be back on the air until a week from today. But I'll get into it a little bit more next week. But I just want to say that as of today, not only am I truly blessed to have this platform, but even more importantly, whether you've tuned in for the first time or just discovered me today, have followed me for quite some time, or go way back to the very beginning, I am super grateful and thankful for your support. Tuning in on a weekly basis, it's super important to me. I am just supremely grateful. And just having, again, this platform to reach out to the masses, to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, etc. on all that's happening in the world of sports. As I hope you keep coming back, even if this is your first time, third time, tenth time, a hundredth time, you name it. I have some details that I want to share, but that will be for the coming weeks. A lot of exciting news, even some challenging news. You'll definitely want to stay tuned for that, but you are going to see a little bit of a shift here with this podcast. Come, I'll give you a little hint, let's say early April. So we're still about five, maybe six weeks away from some of these changes happening, but I'll be sure as we get deeper into the month of March to share that so you could be primed and ready for the next level of the J-Reels podcast moving forward. So with that said, let's get right to it. Some SBORTS for you guys and gals, and today... It's probably the biggest day of the baseball season, and we haven't had pitchers and catchers. We haven't had a game played, even though the exhibition season would have started this past weekend. And obviously, opening day is in big-time jeopardy because of what the latest events happening between the players and the owners. And it's weird because Bob Nightingale, the USA Today baseball writer, just yesterday tweeted out that there has been some progress There have been a lot of other people in the industry, in particular broadcasters that have come out and said that they are optimistic that a deal will be made by midnight tonight. But then you read other reports, in particular ESPN, saying that the two sides are even further apart. 
So you don't know which angle to believe in. And yours truly, as I've said time after time, going back to the beginning of last baseball season, that until I see that deal, and again, they do not have to sign on the dotted line here as long as they come to an agreement and then as they get into the month of March, they'll try to work out dotting I's, crossing T's, and getting all the signatures done. And I get it that a handshake deal could be dicey between these two sides. But we do know that if they do not come up with a deal by midnight tonight, the baseball season, which will start four weeks from this coming Thursday, which will actually be on my birthday, will not begin. And the owners have said that they will not make up these games. They've also said that the players will not get paid. So whether it's 160 games, 154 games, 144, 120, 100, another 60-game baseball season, doesn't matter. The players will not be paid their full salaries. And it brings up the question, and I'm sure a lot of people out there who follow the sport and who are following the story must wonder, what side is Jay Reels on? Eh, maybe not all you guys and gals, but how I look at it at this point, the players are not budging. This game of chicken is pretty much coming down to its final seconds, and the owners are going to have to be the ones that blink here. Because as I've said time after time, the owners have pretty much skated and walked away laughing out of the conference room, knowing that they've gotten the better of the last couple of collective bargaining agreements, and this time the players are not going to budge. And we've seen that here over the course of the past week. And if you didn't listen to the podcast last week, a lot of the sticking points has to do with the manipulated service time, the competitive balance tax, the arbitration when it comes to salary arbitration after a couple of years. All I could say, the side that I'm looking at here that is going to try to do their best and to make out the most are the players, and I have to side with them. Listen, I'm not a player, far from it, and of course, I'm nowhere near being an owner of a baseball team, but the owners could cry foul about not making X amount of money, and yes, they could come out and say that there's not going to be any full salaries if the season doesn't start on time, etc., etc., but the one thing you got to remember, yes, they are owners, yes, they are making a ton of money, despite the fact that they've pretty much lost their shirt, pants, and maybe even underwear here over the last two and a half years. But it's the players that are looking to get their fair shake. And again, they're not going to go the way of a salary cap where revenue streams will certainly be equal across the board. It would be more of a fair share for everybody to get their hands into the pot. Players don't want that because as I said last week, if they do agree on a salary cap, you can forget about the player trying to make $350, $400, or $500 million. That will be long gone. And the leverage there by the players, they certainly want to have that moving forward. But with the owners, we know that this isn't the NFL. It's certainly not even the NBA because the sport isn't as global. Granted that it's in Asia and in the Latin American countries, but in the NBA, it's pretty much throughout the planet. And the NFL, they're the shield. They're impenetrable. They're bulletproof. Doesn't matter. People are going to watch a game between Indianapolis and Jacksonville on Amazon than they would in baseball. Cubs, Cardinals, or even Yankees, Red Sox on YouTube or Facebook watch. 
Uh, that's all there is to it. A lot of that has to do with the fantasy football aspect, I understand. But with baseball being that regional game, it pales in comparison on what it does along the scales of the NFL and even the NBA for that matter. So the owners, they could cry all they want, but the players, as I said before, they are certainly not going to drive their car off the road. This is a game that they're going to drive straight ahead to the owners until it crashes. And sadly, this could crash come midnight tonight. But you know what? What the hell? I'm going to be on their side because they want to get their fair shake with the service time, with everything that I've mentioned. And this is their time to get the deal that they've always wanted. And if it means that they're going to lose out on games and paychecks, then so be it. I get it. It's going to kill the utility infielder, the mop-up reliever, and the 25th guy on the team. I understand where they're going to have to work at UPS or their father's landscaping company. But the players, they don't care about that right now. All they want to do is make sure that the owners kowtow to the players, that they know without them, there's not going to be any baseball played. And it looks like this fight to the end, this Armageddon that I've talked about, going back to the beginning of last year, is coming to a enormous collision. And it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen here between now and midnight. And I get a lot of people may be listening to this after the 28th. But we're going to see how this plays out because if the players are sticking to their guns and if they mean business, and I don't want to hear that once this is negotiated and let's say they do come to an agreement that if they just get some and not even most or dare I say all of what they feel they deserve, then this will just be another example of them capitulating at the 11th hour. Because I'm sure that as the clock continues to tick and that the breakfast meeting goes into lunch and lunch goes into dinner and then next thing you know, it's 1045 and the owners are putting the squeeze on the players. Let's see how they react. Now, up until this point, as I said earlier, they haven't blinked. But you have to wonder throughout the course of this day, Will the players even just give back a little, knowing that they don't want to give an ounce? And we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We could get all these reports from the baseball writers of the world, from the Bob Nightingales, from the Jeff Passens, uh, go on down the line, Peter Gammons, etc. But as of this moment, if the players somehow, some way, come out of this bruised, battered, and a little bit scarred, then I would look at this negotiation off for naught. Because they were definitely going to be a scenario here where it's all bark and no bite. But we'll have to see come midnight whether or not that they come to an agreement. If they don't, then you know the players are in this for the long haul. Or if they do happen to say, okay, we'll settle for this, we'll settle for that, and everything else we get. But it matters much whether or not those things that they settle turn out to be bigger not only just in the short term but in the long term because generally this type of deal will probably go for about six years and I'm sure the length is also something that they probably discuss too because when we look at the other sports the NBA and the NFL is about a decade long and we get it 
Major League Baseball is not the NFL, and they're not even the NBA, as we talked about earlier, when it comes to not only just the popularity, but even the strength and the way it captivates the American public because it is pretty much, I'm not going to say slim to none, but baseball doesn't have the spirit that it once did. Yes, to the guy like me that's over 45 years old, it's going to still have that appeal. But anybody under that, their attention is going to be elsewhere. They may look ahead to the Stanley Cup playoffs or the NBA playoffs or the Masters come the second weekend of April. The NFL draft, which could be Tuesday at 3 in the morning on the moon. And that will have a better rating than anything baseball will do in the postseason. So we're going to see. A lot to look forward to here if you're a baseball fan or just a big sports fan to watch this all unfold and to see whether or not the players are going to cave. Because that's where the focus is on. It's on the owners. And again, I'm on the player side. Because if they want to get this right, if they want to fix it, then they're going to take the year off, if that's the case. And it, we all know, if this bleeds into the spring and then obviously into the summer, they may not get any fans back. They'll get that smattering of fan, like myself, who will be there on opening day, July 4th. But for... The younger fan, you can forget about it. And I'm sure even a lot of the older fans, they may be sick of it too because of what I talked about last week. The greed of the owners, the greed of the players, the salaries, etc. You name it. I'm keeping an eagle eye on this. I believe these players mean business. And I think that they're going to push this past midnight. Unless the owners just all of a sudden decide to just give up the farm. And if they do, kudos to the players. They did their job. But if they... Start to sweat and they start to give an inch where the owners are now going to start taking a yard and things are coming off the table to the point where the owners are starting to get their advantage and that game of chicken where the players are in that big giant bus at the last minute they start to veer off the road then shame on them. But we shall see. We'll keep a close eye on this throughout the course of the day and then obviously into the week. And knowing that I won't be on until next week, keep an eye on my social media accounts. I'll post a couple of videos. Obviously, if they do come to an agreement, I will post something maybe not as late as midnight. I don't know if I'm going to be up that late to see what's going to happen. But you'll know first thing in the morning, the j podcast on Instagram in particular. I'll post it on my Twitter page and Facebook, etc. But that's where you'll get the first... Note or the first tidbit from yours truly as to my thoughts if an agreement comes down the pike. All right, so let's turn our attention to the NBA, and we have a lot going on here, especially with what took place over the weekend, revolving around two teams in particular. Do I even need to go to the Expendables, aka the LA Lakers, as they got embarrassed last night in New Orleans? I'll get to them later on because they are not going to be part of this NBA story over the course of the last six weeks of the season. Now, granted, yes, they're going to be part of the fabric because whether or not they're teetering on the brink of extinction for the 2021-2022 season, it certainly remains to be seen. But we think that they're going to, by the edge of their chinny-chin-chin, make it into the 
playing tournament because I do not see them getting into the top six. This team has been out of whack since the beginning and even comments made by Russell Westbrook. I'll get to that later on. But the shift of the Eastern Conference could start to make its way with two teams in particular. And one, a team that's already in the mix, them being the Philadelphia 76ers, and I'll start there. James Harden, who is two games into his six or tenure, a game in Minnesota on Friday night in which the Sixers just blitzed the Timberwolves, and then yesterday at the Garden, where James Harden recorded his first triple-double as a member of the Sixers, and Bede had a monster game, although a lot of his points came from the free-throw line. In fact, I believe it was 23 of 27, which were the most free-throw attempts, I believe, in God knows how long. But the Sixers now look like they're going to be a team that could rise quickly to the top of the Eastern Conference. And mind you, at the end of the week, they have to go down to Miami, which are currently number one in the East as you wake up this morning. But now you have to wonder whether or not this Sixer team is going to be one, two, yes, reckon with, we understand. But as we've talked about pretty much from the very beginning of this podcast, and I'm not talking about this one here, going back four years ago, because as I said a few weeks ago, when the Harden-Simmons deal went down, and my thoughts on James Harden overall as a player, and I'm not going to go down that road again, but my point being is that pretty much since the advent of this podcast, up until this very moment, James Harden could have all the triple-doubles, He could have all the step-back threes. He could have all the dribbling between the legs for 22 seconds and then hoist that mid-range or even the three-point shot. It doesn't matter what he does here. And we get it that he's become a little bit healthy here with the time off between him being traded. And remember, his final days as a net, he was on the shelf. So he had about three weeks to recover. We understand that he's still a dangerous offensive threat. And even though that it looked like he weaseled his way out of Brooklyn by not playing those final games because he knew that he tried to get healthy and was brokering a deal to get himself to reunite with Daryl Morey, the GM in Philadelphia, in which it actually happened, as we all know. But even with all that being said, all the pressure is on this man, not today, not tomorrow, not next week when they'll play Brooklyn in Philadelphia, and certainly not into mid-April. It's late April. May, and if his team makes it to June, that's where it's going to count if your name is James Harden. Because as we all know, he is not a winning player. He never comes up huge in a big spot. When the money is on the line, it's all pennies, nickels, and dimes. It's never Benjamins or, dare I even say, cryptocurrency. And I understand that's all the rage right now. But when you look at the back of his playoff basketball card, Yes, has he had big games? Of course. But has he had them in big moments? Absolutely not. And it doesn't matter what he does now. And he's gone to a place where he thought by trying to sneak out of the back door and not have the general public have a backlash toward him for wanting to leave the Brooklyn Nets in a great situation here with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But now he's going to Philadelphia, which is probably the next hostile fan base here in the country, we could say Boston, but they've done a ton of winning here over the last two decades. So Philadelphia, other than the Eagle Championship, them winning the Super Bowl four years ago, the Sixers haven't won in almost 40 years. So if he fails in a big spot, he's going to hear it times 10. 
And that's what we're going to look at come the spring. Right now, it's all coconuts and palm trees if you're James Harden. The connection there with Embiid, Embiid throwing bouquets at the feet of James Harden, and everything is hunky-dory, everything is prim and proper in the city of brotherly love. But let's just see if they're down 2-1 in the series on a road. Let's just see if it's a pivotal game five in their building or even a game seven to go to an NBA final. And let's see where James Harden is at that point to see if he could deliver his team, whether it's past a first round, second round, championship round in the conference or even an NBA final. That's what this trade is all about. But so far, so good. Two wins in. Let's see how they do moving forward as you think that they'll move up the standings. The other team is the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie Irving, with his exploits there on Saturday, scoring 38 points, making big shot after big shot. And now with the city starting to get its bearings as far as loosening the restrictions when it comes to vaccinations being indoors. I know with restaurants, I don't know about big public buildings, let's just say the Barclays Center or even the Garden for that matter. But pretty soon, I'm sure you'll see the mask mandates here in the city. They'll start to be lifted. And as Kyrie said on Saturday night after the game that he does see the light at the end of the tunnel, this is pretty much what I'm talking about, knowing that come March 7th, just a week from today, where these restrictions will be a thing of the past, and you may have number 11 be at center court for a home game in the Barclays Center sometime shortly after that. Now, we understand that the big building aspect, whether it is the two arenas or even a place like Radio City, but that's not what matters at the current moment. If you're a Net fan, you know that a guy like Kyrie Irving is imperative to be in that starting lineup come whenever that first playoff game will be. April 16th, 17th. Because the Nets right now as it stands, they're still toward the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Right now currently 8th. But knowing that they're just three games behind the Celtics for the 6th seed, and then although it's a sizable margin to where the Cavaliers are, and the Sixers currently 3rd in the conference, as we said, they're going to continue to trend north. But they could get the four seed and a spot to have a first-round playoff series to where they could host sometime in mid-April. And as we all know, for the 40 Net fans out there, and of course Steve Nash and the owner, Joseph Sy, they are banking on having their point guard game one in their building on the floor ready to go. And then also with Ben Simmons and waiting for him to arrive, which could be sometime next week, I believe they're targeting that first game in Philadelphia. And I think that game is March 11th. So for Simmons, as he's trying to get his body right, there were some reports that he's having a back ailment, which, all right, maybe he's ramping up his workout regimen and now he's starting to battle a little bit of soreness. All right. Try to get it out now because once he's healthy and ready to go, there is no excuse. He's got to be in that lineup day in, day out, night in, night out. And if he thought Philadelphia was a tough place to play in, he could have hangnail 
And if he's going to be out for one game, the fans are going to get on him. Not only that, but also the media is going to start to question whether or not this guy has any mental toughness. And as we all know, I get it. The mental health that he's been experiencing, and that's something that obviously no one will ever take lightly or accuse him of trying to, we'll just say, stretch the truth. But he went from the frying pan into the fire when it comes to him changing addresses. And we know that this could be not only very interesting for him to try to get through and even with this new lease on life, but he's got to play down the stretch barring a major injury. We all know that. But let's see. With these restrictions, hopefully being a thing of the past, Kyrie being part of the mix, and then one other ingredient may be added to the stew here, and that's Kevin Durant, who is scheduled to come back later this week. So if you have those three guys in the lineup, and obviously with the chemistry that's going to need to be built here over the final month of the season, let's see what's going to happen here as the Brooklyn Nets have been in and out of the lineup, have been up and down, have not been able to get their bearings, this could be the perfect time for this team to get themselves strapped in, turn on the key to the ignition, and just rock it straight through the Eastern Conference to, are they going to get to the top spot, number two or three seed? That remains to be seen, and it looks like it's going to be a tall order. But if they get anywhere to three or four, most likely four at the present moment, they'll put themselves in good shape for a long playoff run barring a major injury come the middle of April. So the Nets will now start to be a part of this playoff puzzle with all the expectations at the start of the year and to think they've had a makeover and understandably so considering that one of their players just wanted out of here and you only hope that the player that they brought back in this deal will be consistent in his play as far as his time goes We're not expecting Ben Simmons to be a guy that when he's on top of his game, that he's going to have 18 points, 15 rebounds, and 13 assists right off the bat. As we said before, they're not relying on his offense. Yes, they may be relying on him during the transition game, in the open court, fast break, push the ball up, and we understand Kyrie, he's going to probably be that two guard in that particular case. But the rebounding, obviously the all-world defense that he brings, And again, the continuity that he's going to have to have, not only with his teammates, but a whole different setting altogether, is going to be primo. Is going to be of the utmost importance for this team to get to where they wanted to go here pretty much for the last couple of years. So obviously we'll continue to monitor that. Before I even get to the Lakers, I'm going to spend literally two minutes on them. The Suns, now losers of two in a row, I'm not going to say that, up the team has sprung a leak, but we know with Chris Paul not scheduled to come back until early April, at the earliest, you have to wonder whether or not the Warriors in particular, and granted that they do have a six-game lead over Golden State, so they do have a cushion, and the Warriors lost a brutal game last night. They were up by 19, and they gave it all back to the Dallas Mavericks. But the Suns right now, you are maybe just a little bit concerned because without having their field general on the court in a 1CP3 and having guys like Devin Booker to take over, which would be a 
great learning experience for him because this is going to be his team moving forward once Chris Paul either gets that championship this year and happens to retire. Now he did re-sign, what is it, I believe a two or three year deal before last season. So you would think even if they win this year, he's probably going to honor his contract. But we all know this is Devin Booker's team moving forward. But we also have to recognize that he's going to have to play a big part here with Paul being out of being that guy who could be trusted to lead this team. And granted that all the responsibilities should not be on his shoulders at the present moment, but this is now him trying to take off the training wheels, so to speak, before Paul comes back to see what kind of, not player he is, because we know the type of player that Devin Booker is, but also could this guy be a leader? Could this guy be the one that you're going to turn to in crunch time or in a big moment or when the spotlight is on this team is he going to be the one to carry the mail and deliver his team not only just to a victory, but to a series winning victory or to a championship or through a championship? This is where Devin Booker, this is his time to shine. And again, it's the regular season. Two-game losing streak is nothing to get crazy about. But here are a Suns team that were 49-10 and 10 and now 49-12 and 12 and expected to now go back to an NBA final just based on what they've done so far. And Paul, who has not gotten a lot of publicity as far as being an MVP of the league, a lot of that's gone to Joel Embiid, but this could be a clear case that even with him on the shelf for six months, or excuse me, for six weeks, got a little bit ahead of myself there, that with him being out for the next five weeks or so, that he definitely deserves some consideration for being a league MVP. And that's one thing he has not been able to achieve throughout his 15 or 16 year career. So we'll keep an eye on that. As far as the Lakers, what is there to say about this team? They're not even the expendables anymore. They're just, they just got awful. Currently ninth, and they're going to make the playoffs because even though the Pelicans beat them last night by almost 30, and that was at home. And with the two-and-a-half game lead that they have on them, and they're 10th in the conference, the Pelicans, that is, the Lakers are going to make the playoffs. Portland's not going to overtake them. New Orleans is not going to overtake them. Forget about the Spurs. So they're going to make the playoffs. And as it is right now, they would play the Clippers in an opening round, as I said last week. And the Clippers are actually played pretty well. And I think my over-under number, which I said last week, I was kind of sweating it out, but I think they're going to make it at 44.5. They just have to win 13 more games, and I think they're going to be able to achieve that. And once Paul George is back in the mix, and dare I even say Kawhi, they should be fine. But the Clippers, last night, another embarrassment, and Russell Westbrook, he was asked in the postgame about the boos, whether he takes those boos home, considering that this has been just a very underwhelming year and this team has not performed anywhere close to what a lot of people expected and he says paraphrasing of course no I don't take the booze home I don't care what the fans say or do and obviously that's a battle you're going to lose 10 times out of 10 if you're going to point the finger at the fans and that's pretty much the Lakers season in a nutshell and like I said I was going to spend two minutes on them and my two minutes are up other than that the NBA looks like it's going to be Fast and furious here for this final six-week stretch. Back to the East. I said the Heat are playing well. Winners are three in a row. They play the Sixers at the end of the week at home. So that's a game to keep an eye on. The Bucks and the Bulls play later on in the week. I believe Friday. So that's one that will 
Watch as well as the Bucks have lost two in a row here. But other than that, the East is pretty much the same. Cavaliers smack in the middle there at the four seed. And we'll see what takes place over the course of the final six weeks as to where these teams will end up. And when I look at the standings, the Knicks, could Tom Thibodeau actually lose his job a year after he won Coach of the Year? Now, I get it. Kemba Walker, which I thought was going to be a little bit of an upgrade, but we know that knee is just degenerating as we speak. And he's not going to play for the rest of the year. They're going to try to have him work out and get ready to be 100% next year. But this next season, where they started off at 5-1 and one and have just gone off a cliff, and even though they're four and a half games back at the 10th spot, there's no way I see this team being in the postseason, which would be just an incredible disappointment. Because you can't go from hosting a first-round series last year and win 41 games on the process to where you've won 25 to this point and you're probably not even going to be anywhere near winning 40 games, let alone 41. So that's the deal there with the East and with the Knicks. And out West, the Warriors, like I said, with a bad loss last night, but they're going to be in good shape. Memphis, Utah, and Utah beat Phoenix yesterday. That was one of the games that uh, Phoenix lost here in this two-game losing streak. We'll see Dallas and Denver and what they could do with their MVP candidates. And the T-Wolves, who will be part of that mix there with the 7-10 teams. And that's what you got in the NBA. Nothing really much to get into right now. I know the stories are going to be Brooklyn, Philadelphia because of that trade, because of the early dividends that the Sixers have seen so far, and now Harden being reinvigorated. So those are going to be the top stories here as we turn the calendar tomorrow to the month of March. And speaking of that calendar, what in the hell happened here Saturday in college basketball because you had a historic day to where you had, count them, a lucky seven spot where seven teams in the top ten all lost, including the top six teams in the country. So whether you're Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, Purdue, Kansas, and Kentucky, you all happen to lose to where Baylor, who beat Kansas, there on Saturday, they can actually be the number one team in the country as of today. Now, a lot of people may say Duke could be at the top spot, considering that the first six teams have gone bye-bye, and Duke, which came into the week ranked seventh, they may leapfrog over all of that half-dozen teams to make it to the number one ranking in the country. Villanova, who lost early in the week to Connecticut, now could be maybe ranked somewhere in the top three. Baylor, you think by beating Kansas, they may be the team to say, "Uh uh-uh, let me just bypass the Dukes and Villanovas of the world to get back to number one, which they had that top spot for a few weeks early on in January. And all this means, as we're into the final week of the college basketball regular season and the madness will begin... Two weeks from tomorrow. All this means is that it is an absolute crapshoot as to who is going to come out on top. Not only just winning the national title, but also who's going to be in the Final Four. 
it is going to be as wide open as we've seen in quite some time. So the only way I look at it is as much as you could be a die-in-the-wool college basketball fan, and yes, you could probably figure out who deserves to be the number one seed in each of the regions. You would think Gonzaga. You would probably also have to look at Arizona. The other two, they're up in the air. Maybe Auburn. Maybe Kansas. If Duke has a great run in them now and through the ACC tournament, maybe they'll be a number one. And it pretty much could boil down to who wins these conference championships, which will start next week, as to who will be ranked number one in each of the four brackets. Because right now, you can't even predict that. And yes, you can look into the crystal ball and see who has had the big year and would warrant earning that top spot in the East, in the Midwest, out West, etc. But it is not even a coin toss. I mean, you could pretty much put any of these teams' names in a hat, pull them out, and they could be worthy of a number one seed. Now, overall, that remains to be seen. We may think Gonzaga could be that team, but any one of these teams could be ranked number one in their region. And would you be surprised or would you chuckle at that? Right now, you can't even say that. And this is what's going to make this college basketball season, or at least this March Madness, fascinating from that regard. Because, yes, you could pencil in the power schools that always seem to be at the not only the top of the bracket, but usually one of the last four teams standing. And yes, it'll be safe and easy to choose the Dukes or the Gonzagas, or you want to even put Baylor back there, Villanova. Go right ahead. UCLA, who have kind of been middling, but with the success that they had last year and came that close to going to a national championship, you could throw them in the mix too. And they're currently 12. But is it safe to say that one of these teams, two of these teams, automatic to get to the Final Four? Huh. I beg to differ. Because right now, who's number one? I can't even tell you. It may be Duke. It may be Villanova. It may even be Baylor. And I think with their win over Kansas, they probably surpass all these teams to get themselves the top spot at some point throughout the course of this day. And I'm looking forward to it. Now, I haven't followed college basketball the way I have college football. Obviously, it's a different sport. College football, as you've heard, if you followed the podcast going back to the early part of the fall and into and through the holiday season, I was all over it. And now college basketball, just not only based on what took place here on Saturday, on this slaughter Saturday or Saturday slaughter, however you want to call it. But all I know is that If I can't be compelled or riveted by what has transpired here over the last 48 hours, then nothing will attract me to the sport. And I get it. With the one and dones and the sport being a shell of its old self, understood. But knowing that it's unpredictable, that it's become topsy-turvy, that any one of these teams can make it to a Final Four, that's the beauty of it. And it's amazing to think that unless you have like a 14, 15, or dare I even say a 16 seed, make it into a Sweet 16 and an Elite 8 and dare a Final Four, then that's when you're going to have a Cinderella story. But other than that, look at last year with UCLA. They were an 11th seed and they almost made it to a final. 
So unless you have the Wolfords, the Eastern Illinois, the Harvards of the world, or even maybe the Ionas of the world, unless they go deep into this tournament, there may not even be a Cinderella story because it is that wide open. At least that's what we see right now. Now granted, over the course of these next two weeks, maybe there'll be a little bit of separation, but is it going to be that fast? That once we get past election Sunday, that even if a team rolls off six or seven wins in a row, that you could guarantee to be like, oh, this team's going to Final Four. Can't say that. At least based on what I've witnessed here. So the madness has begun and March hasn't even arrived. So let's just only hope that this is a precursor of what lies ahead as we get into this final week and then obviously the conference championship weeks uh, next week. And then, of course, Election Sunday, which will be two weeks from yesterday, and then on to the tournament we go. And then, as expected, Jawan Howard did get the five-game suspension for the rest of the regular season. So if the Wolverines do happen to get into the tournament, and I believe he will coach the conference championship week, so if Michigan does have a run in them to where they do win the Big Ten, obviously you'll see him there on the sideline as well as in the tournament, if they do run the table, as of right this moment, they are on the bubble, at least based on what I see here. But Jawan Howard, with his antics there at the end of the game last weekend versus Wisconsin, sitting pat as you will not see him here until next week, taking that five-game suspension based on his finger-pointing and, of course, the swing that he took at the Wisconsin assistant coach. All right, now let's turn our attention to the ice because the National Hockey League still has a few more weeks until their trade deadline. And it's interesting because there's one team. And as weird as this is going to be, and it's going to sound, and I know people are probably going to say Jay Reels. I mean, what are you smoking here? But when you look at the landscape of the NHL at this current moment, and granted that they're always going to be a threat, I'm not trying to say that this team is sleeping or creeping up on other teams or they haven't been a factor. or No, no, no. None of that. But when you look at the landscape this year and you see what the Colorado Avalanche have done and you look at a team like the Carolina Hurricanes, them being the first place team in the Metropolitan as of right now, and even the Rangers for the improvements that they've made this year where they could be a threat come postseason. The Penguins, the last-ditch effort possibly for Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and company there at the Steel City. Even the Kings, winners of five in a row, and now that they've tried to catapult themselves to the top of the West in a very competitive division. To me, the one team that's not gotten a lot of shine here are the Tampa Bay Lightning, which then, yeah, I don't know. Does it beg the question Is this team flying under the radar? Now, I don't think they are. I mean, they are a two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. And I have talked about them periodically throughout the course of the season. But now that they're just one game back, or excuse me, one point back of the Florida Panthers who have lost three in a row, and Tampa coming off the Stadium Series victory in Nashville over the Predators to where there were a legion of Lightning fans, I guess that made the trip from the Panhandle there, in the west coast of Florida, up to Nissan Stadium to where the Titans play. 
And for them to get the 3-2 win to where Steven Stamkos came out and said that it gave them a lot of motivation, it pumped them up to have the crowd behind them. The Lightning, I said this before the start of the season, for them to go and win three straight Stanley Cups, which would be just an unbelievable achievement here in this day and age, free agency, etc. But to think, they won a Stanley Cup, if you remember, September of 2020. They won a Stanley Cup July of 2021, and then they have to do it all over again and probably do it in late June? That may be a tall order. But right now, the Lightning are clicking on all cylinders. They're a team that, again... Once the dust has settled and all the matchups are set in place for the postseason to begin, we know that the Lightning are going to be a force. That goes without saying. But there have been other teams that have overachieved, that have performed well, and have gotten a lot of credit to where I guess a lot of people expect Tampa, at the end of the day, not only to be there, but to be near the top or at the top of the standings. So that's why, not to say that they're an afterthought, But that's why I bring them up as a team that's flying under the radar. Because we could just say, oh, they're the Lightning, don't worry, we're going to be there. Where a lot of other people are focusing their attention on the Florida Panthers and what they've done this year. Or Carolina. Or to go out west with Colorado. And with all the firepower that they have. And with the disappointment of their postseason last year. Being up to love against the Golden Knights and then spitting a bit. A team that has had cup aspirations here over the last couple of years and leading the NHL in points overall, or the Kings, or the Golden Knights, or could I even say the Kings right now? All those teams that we don't expect to be at the top or have been competitive and have made some hay to where the Lightning are just like, eh, they're the Lightning. They'll be there. So that's why I ask, are they a team that's under the radar right now? Of course, they've won four in a row, so you can't even say that. And again, with their back-to-back cup champions, it's even preposterous to think it, let alone say it. But those aforementioned teams that have had very good years, it has to stick come April, May, and June when the playoffs begin to where we know Tampa, they've done it before. Whether it was in the middle of a pandemic in a bubble, whether it was in a shortened season as it was last year in 56 games, the sprint that that was, and then winning another Stanley Cup. And now this season, where they're all likelihood will have a whole season under their belts, can they do it again? The other big note in the world of hockey over the past week was Dano Chara, who eclipsed Chris Chelios for most games played all time in the history of the league by defensemen. And by him doing that, it's interesting because Chelios, who seemed like he played forever, and I believe he played until the age of 46, Charles will actually become 45 in about two and a half weeks. I believe March 18th is his birthday. So he falls about three weeks shy of his birthday by achieving this milestone, which I believe is 1,652 games. Uh, what could you say? When you play for that long and you have that type of durability, although... He suffered a lot of injuries here over the last few years. And Chara, who has won a Norris Trophy for best defenseman in the league and has been on a bunch of all-star teams, etc. But when we think of Zdeno Chara, despite the fact that he has the most games played by a defenseman in the history of the NHL, the first thing I think about is that he's not a Hall of Famer. And I get it, today's not the day to judge whether or not he is that. But when 
you happen to get into that lofty status to a guy like Chris Chelios, who, as we all know, is one of the great defensemen of all time. And granted, he did play, was it 24 years or however long it was? But for Chara, who has had a lot of length in his career, and with his career coming full circle, of course, played in the Islanders system, was a member of the Islanders going back to the mid-90s, and then here he is, pretty much will probably be his last year, you would think, in the NHL. But for him to achieve that milestone, kudos to him. That's one that we may never see broken. And again, it's a defenseman. It's not overall as far as games played, whether you're a forward or a goaltender. More so a forward than a goaltender, of course, but Chara, congratulations to him, and he actually suffered an injury in the game last night against the Kings, as well as Matthew Barzal, so the Islanders, who as we all know has had a lost season with the 13 games right out of the gate on the road, to them opening their new arena and not getting a win in their new building until their eighth game, and uh, just a mess of a season for the Islanders, and it looks like it's not going to get any better considering with these two injuries, but Chara is one. Congratulations to him on reaching that lofty milestone. As far as the games itself, you had a wild shootout on Saturday, which looked like a football score when it was all said and done, where the Maple Leafs beat the Red Wings 10-7. to And when I saw that, I couldn't believe it. And it made me just right away look at the box score. The Leafs had a 7-2 to lead going into the third period, and then the Red Wings scored four unanswered goals to make it 7-6, but then they pulled away late, Mitch Marner had four goals, including a natural hat-trick in between. And rarely do you see that high-scoring type of game, let alone 10-7. to I mean, how many teams have scored 10 goals in a game this year? Off the top of my head, I can't even think of one. But the NHL, as we get into the month of March, and three weeks from today will be the trade deadline. So we may start to see some wheeling and dealing here. I'm sure you'll see a lot as we get into the Ides of March. And obviously, once we get to the 21st, there will be a lot of wheeling and dealing. And it'll be interesting to see which teams will do that. Will the Rangers go ahead and make a deal to try to get a final piece of their puzzle as they make a push toward the Stanley Cup? As we talked about some of these other teams, whether you're Carolina, whether you're the Florida Panthers, will Colorado make a move? And not even just those teams, because they're right now at the top of each of their respective divisions, but... A team like the St. Louis Blues or the Minnesota Wild, maybe even the Kings, the Golden Knights, they probably are not going to make a move considering that they made the move for Jack Eichel earlier this year. Uh, Will the Penguins make a move in a last-ditch effort to try to get Sidney Crosby one last ring? The Maple Leafs, who a lot of people thought were going to go to a cup last year. So those are some of the storylines when you look at the trade deadline. Again, still three weeks away, but you wonder whether or not those teams are going to try to make a little bit of a seismic shift to get themselves in prime position to make a deep postseason run. So that's what we have there with the NHL. As far as the standings go, everything is pretty much status quo. I'm not going to get into what teams here, there, or everywhere throughout the NHL landscape as far as teams that have made big moves. I know I mentioned the Kings, winners of five in a row and eight of the last ten. And if there's another team that could be on the come up or streaking to the top, right now a lot of teams are pretty much in that position to where they haven't really made that move or have made a significant jump to the top or toward the top of the standings to get themselves ready for the month of March. So obviously we'll keep our eye on that. We'll keep our eye on the NBA, of course, the college basketball, as they are the three-sport standing 
at the current moment. And as we all know, baseball, the clock is ticking on whether or not that deal will be agreed upon come midnight tonight. And before I get to my hero and zero of the week, you did have a surprising development in the NFL yesterday. Now, mind you, it was to an offensive lineman, so it wasn't one of your key players, but he was a key player on a Super Bowl team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneer team of last year, where Ali Marpet, who had played in the league for seven years, made his first Pro Bowl and was a key cog, arguably the best offensive lineman on that team. I know Tristan Wirfs will probably get that distinction. But he decided to call it a career with an Instagram post yesterday at the age of 28. He felt due to concerns of his overall health and that it was time for him to get out of the game that he loved and how much that football brought to him, showing a lot of gratitude, of course. And although he played seven years but came from a Division three school and was only, I believe, the first player in the last... I. Can't recall, I believe in the last maybe 20 years that a team drafted a Division III player out of the first 100 picks in the draft. And he came out of a school called Hobart College out of upstate New York, of all places, in between Rochester and Syracuse. But for him to not only be that long shot, although a second-round pick, but to make it in the league, play seven years, be a part of a Super Bowl champion and to cap off his career as a pro bowler, kudos to him. He's looking at his long-term and his future more so than leaving, I believe, $10 million on the table, which he would have earned this upcoming season. And as we've seen with a lot of players over the years, whether your name is Luke Keekley, Chris Borland, the San Francisco 49er linebacker who played one year and decided, ah, that's it, that's enough, I want to do bigger and better things in my life. Even a guy like Patrick Willis, who had a very good career with five first-team All-Pros and a seven-year career overall, but thought it was time for him to go to keep his body and his brain intact. And for Marpet to call the career, not only is that another hole that the Buccaneers are going to have to plug in, but of course with the quarterback retiring and a one-Tom Brady, they certainly have... Some big shoes to fill there in both of those spots. But we've seen this over the years with a lot of these players just retiring, knowing that either A, they've made enough money, or they just decided that it was their best intention just to leave the sport on a high, on a good note, with all of their limbs pretty much in good standing. And what more can you say? You can't look at him and say, oh, what are you doing? Why are you leaving $10 million on the table? It's his right to say, I've had enough. And the game has brought him a lot of thrills, joys, etc. And who would have thought that a guy from a small school in Geneva, New York, would have not only played seven years, but play in front of Tom Brady, win a title, as well as become a Pro Bowl type player. So congratulations to him. And then there were two sad notes with a couple of deaths, one being Ken Burrow, the Houston Oiler wide receiver, who was the last player in the history of the league to wear either zero or double zero. In fact, you don't see any players wear that because the league restricted players are wearing that number dating back to 1973, 
and Burrow already wore the number at that time because he was drafted, I believe, 1970, played throughout the 70s, was a big-time wide receiver, I believe led the league in receiving in 1975, passes away at the age of 73 years old. So Burrow, being a part of those Oiler teams in the late 70s, who, as a boy, I got to see, and he was a threat, and that double zero really stuck out, big Wide receiver, made a ton of plays, and unfortunately, he transitioned, so thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to him and his family. And then Lionel Little Train James, a guy who was five foot six, and at one point, I believe in 1985, led the AFC in receptions. And in that same period, that same year, had the all-purpose yard record over that year. He had somewhere over 2,000 yards. Of course, it's been broken several times since then. But for a guy that's 5'6", Little Train James, went to Auburn, played in San Diego, and for him to pass away at the age of 59 with a lengthy illness, just very sad, sad state of affairs. And we've seen a lot of these players, whether it's the NFL or in some other sports, throughout the course of these first two months of the year, just terrible. And for a guy like... Little Train James, who didn't get a lot of notoriety, especially post-career, but was diminutive, was a guy that was a threat on the offensive side of the ball, wore number 21, played on those teams there in the 80s, toward the tail end there where Dan Fouts was the quarterback. Again, thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the James family. And then one last thing. Last week, my zero of the week was Phil Mickelson, for those who listened, and the backlash of all that, and a lot of that had to do with a book that's coming out where he had made some comments, and with those comments, had KPMG, the consulting firm, pull the plug on his sponsorship, Callaway Golf, and a couple of other known entities that said either suspended or said, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to cut ties with Phil Mickelson, well, the after effects have shown, based on the things that he said, was going to play in this Saudi league where he was going to get $250 million pretty much right off the bat, maybe not directly into his bank account, but I'm sure over the course of however many years, and you had a couple of other guys that were looking to go that route, decided, uh uh-uh, detoured and came back, whether your name is Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau, but now for... Some of the things that Mickelson said and wanting to play in the Saudi league where this man has made a king's ransom throughout the course of his career, not only just on the golf course, but with the sponsorships that he had. Well, a couple of them have cut ties and understandably and rightfully so. And it served him right for him making those comments. And even though he's apologized and even at one point said that some of it was taken out of context, I mean, come on. We know that's him trying to save face, but he's not fooling anybody but himself. But I just thought to throw that in there because based on the zero of the week and putting Mickelson in that spotlight, and then here it is a week later to where he's lost sponsorships and even one of them has suspended, not necessarily terminated, but you would think in due time they'll probably terminate the other sponsorship that was there connected to Mickelson. So that was something that he had coming to him. Now let me get to it. Speaking of which, to close out my hero and zero of the week, my hero of the week goes out to boxer Vasily Lomachenko as he, as well as Vitali 
Klitschko, the former heavyweight and even his brother with Klitschko Vitali, that is, being the mayor of Kiev, the capital of their country, Ukraine, joining a territorial defense battalion in their country as it attempts to fight off the invasion by Russia. You even have the president of Ukraine in the front lines ready to battle it out. And if you have the president doing that, what does that tell you? Talk about setting the example. Well, here we have Lomachenko, who I believe has a fight scheduled sometime in June, but he figures, "Uh uh-uh, I got more important things to take care of. So if he's going to be part of this defense battalion in order to thwart this Russian attack and trying to take over the country, what more can you say this guy, as well as the Klitschkos and many others that I'm sure behind the scenes are doing their best to be on the front lines to try to get some peace in their country to hopefully just do their absolute best. And I wish him and everybody else out there nothing but the best. But that, my friends, is a hero to say the least. Vasily Lomachenko, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is going out to Zion Williamson. Because, as it was reported last week, J.J. Redick, a former teammate when he was with the Pelicans, came out and said that his absence, not being around the team, this quote-unquote pattern of behavior, not showing any type of team morale, he's actually getting a lot of his treatment and his rehab in Portland, Oregon of all places, and for him being distant, and even with C.J. McCollum, who was brought into the Pelicans by trade just a few weeks ago, that even he said pretty much the same thing when he arrived. He goes, I haven't heard from Zion, or I don't even know where he is. And I'm sure he's saying that actually to not knock him, but to be honest, to say that, yeah, he hasn't been around. Here's a guy that's supposed to be the face of the franchise, a number one pick, maybe even a generational pick at that. And I get it. When you're injured and you're hurt, and there isn't anything that you can really do about your health, Because if you're not able to play, understood. But if you're not around the team, if you're not even rehabbing around the team, if you're pretty much dancing to your own beat outside of that and not being a part of the fabric as that guy who's supposed to be the face of the franchise, I'm sorry, Zion Williamson. That is just a bad optic overall. So, sadly, my G, you are my zero of the week. That'll do it. Episode 240 just about in the books, but some housekeeping before I bid adieu. As I said at the top, on the eve of uh, another anniversary, and I'll get into more of that next week, I do appreciate not only your support, but also tuning in, whether this is your first time, your third or fourth time, tenth time, a hundredth time, doesn't matter. I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule, carving out a little bit of time to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And as we all know, there are content coming out of various directions, whether it's video, visual, audio, you name it. And just knowing that you download, stream on wherever you get your podcasts, I truly appreciate it. And I do not take your participation for granted. So thank you guys and gals very much for being a supporter of this podcast. And if you haven't done so, just a little reminder Please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. Take a screenshot of it on wherever your social media account may be. Send it to me. Share it with your friends. It will go a long way in increasing the visibility of this podcast as I try to take it to the next level. And come April, 
There are going to be some changes. There's going to be some revisions. So stay tuned as we get deeper into March. I'll share what those will be so it will prepare you for what lies ahead. If you want to send me a question, comment with some criticism or praise or whatever it may be, you could do so at the following on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels podcast on Twitter, J Reels one, just a number on Facebook, the J Reels podcast fan page or the old fashioned way, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Please send them my way. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this podcast, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. What that does, your contribution goes 100% toward the upkeep of the website, to the production of this podcast, to the equipment that I'm looking to upgrade over time because I want this podcast coming through loud, clear, concise, etc., which I feel that it has been over the course of the last 240 episodes, but I want it to even even be better and even be bigger because, like I said, I want to go to places to where the likes that are not only just unseen, but at the same time, to the places where a lot of the people that you listen to on a day-in, day-out basis, I want to be on that level. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about. This is what's in my blood, in the DNA, to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>